Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and I know I've been gone a couple of weeks. I just wrapped up the uh, Stone and Tile troubleshooting and inspection class over there in DeBerry, Florida, which is just north of Orlando. Everything went went really well. Uh, Brought the class on a um, a site visit to several places. One of them uh, was NS Motif, uh, who Karen Rowe uh, owns and operates, and we're going to get Karen in here in a second. And uh, what I thought would be interesting is looking – I had never been to her shop before. So looking at her shop, I noticed she had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, automated equipment, you know, line polishers, CNC, uh, water jets, etc. And I thought it would be interesting, especially for you fabricators out there that are are looking to move into that type of equipment. So let me see if I can get Karen in here on the line. And Karen, are you there? I am here. How are you, Fred? I'm, I'm doing great. It's sweating it out over here in Melbourne. <laughs> it is hot. hot. That is for sure. <laughs> it, it is hot. Well, you folks may remember we had Karen on one previous show a while ago, and I can't believe we've done. I've done this for over a year now, so uh, things are going really, really great. But as I said in the introduction, Karen, um, you know, it comes to be a good idea for fabricators to listen to, you know, how you grew and how you got, you know, to where you are today. So why don't we start out with, uh, you know, the first question would be, when did you start in the fabrication business? Sure. We we actually opened in 2008 when the market was falling apart and everybody thought I was absolutely crazy for opening my own business. Oh, and it actually turned <laughs> yeah, it turned out to be one of the best things we ever decided to do. Um and uh we just doubled in size year after year from that. Um just continued to do the right thing and grow uh slowly but grow controlled and um and grew to where we are today. I think this will be our our 12th year coming up. Um, so, yeah, uh, best thing wow. we could have ever done. Yeah. Now, one of the curious questions I over, I always have, and people ask me the same question all the time, is why stone fabrication? <laughs> How did you come yeah. up with why? I, I want to do this. I find that interesting. So everybody always asks that question, and I always have a sim, same answer, I think, that a lot of people <laughs> have the same answer. We just got kind of fell into it or got dragged into it. I don't think anybody ever grows up and says, I want to be a stone fabricator. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, You know, we had a friend in the business or family in the business, and somehow we just fell into it. And that's kind of what happened with me. I I worked with someone else, and I just got frustrated with the industry. I got frustrated with the lack of integrity and the lack of um, quality that was out there as far as a good fabricator. And I just had a desire to make a difference in the industry. And so that's when I decided to open my own place. Great. Now, I imagine you didn't start, obviously you didn't start with with the equipment you had today. You know, what equipment did you start with? Well, we were like many other fabrication shops. We started with somebody cutting for us. And then um, we slowly grew into uh, buying a bridge saw and um, doing a lot of things by hand. Everything was really done by hand. And as slowly as we could brought, uh, make money and build into automation, and we really looked at 
what we needed before, what the demand, what kind of customers we had before we went into automation. There were a lot of people that were telling me I needed a CNC right away, and I just kept looking at the type of customers that we had. Um, and I feel like that's really an important thing. Um, when you're doing a lot of high-end work, maybe you would need a, a CNC that's going to do custom edge profiles or something like that. But back then, the type of work that we were doing was a lot of straight work, a lot of straight cookie-cutter pieces, as we call them, uh, straight pieces that really just needed straight cuts and straight profiling. So for me, I felt like my first automation piece needed to be an inline polisher. Um, it was fast, it was production, and we knew that that was a lot of the production work that we were doing, and that's where our upkeep, our output needed to be. So that's where we went first. We didn't start with a CNC. We started with a inline polisher. And I think that's a smart move, and uh, we'll get to that question in a minute as far as, you know, what, you know, I know a lot of, I've seen a lot of guys, especially at the shows, they see these CNC machines and they're, they're like, oh, wow, that would be really cool. But they, you know, and I think you hit the nail right on the head. They they don't stop to think, will this thing pay for itself? Am I doing the type of work uh, that's required? And you basically just answered that, which was good. So your first first uh, automated piece of equipment was a line polisher. Uh, where did you go from there? What was your next piece of equipment? So along with, and let me just back up first by saying it took many years to get to even the inline polisher. You know, we were doing the bridge saw, did a lot by hand, and it wasn't until 2011 that we actually put an inline polisher in place. Mm. Um, and then from there, you know, we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to go into debt. We wanted to make sure we paid off whatever we bought. And from there, as our business changed and we moved into higher-end work, we realized that, you know, not only did we have more hiring work, but we had um, more volume. So we, we moved up with the type of inline polishers and went into more of a, a higher-end polisher that could handle more work. But we added to it a backsplash machine, which we had, I, at the time, I really can't remember, but it has to be maybe four or six people just polishing backsplashes all day long. Wow. Wow. So when you put it, when I remember the day that we put a backsplash machine in place and we just started feeding that machine and all the guys stood there standing around it because halfway through the day there was no backsplashes to polish. Oh, and I wonder it was if they had a job. Amazing feat. <laughs> exactly. We moved them to other areas, but it was it was an amazing feat that this machine just ate the backsplashes like crazy and we just couldn't believe how wonderful it was. So and then that happened in 2014. So it took to, still took you know a few years before we took that plunge into even more higher technology of an inline polisher and a backsplash machine. Right now, now let's let's back up a minute and talk a little bit about the the, the line polisher because I'm sure you know fabricators out there that they I'm sure they've probably seen one but never operated. How many profiles do you offer with that machine? So. And the inline polishers, a lot of them do many different ones. Most of them do. Um, most of them do. You know, your five standards, your ease, your um, half bull nose, your full bull nose, uh, your bevel, and uh, your demi bull nose. Um, in the second one that we purchased, um, it came with two options to do a uh, any any kind of an upgraded edge profile at the end, and then also had a uh, miter 
blade at the end as well. So it had a couple more bells and whistles that were very nice add-ons. Now, has that, and this is a question I always get, and uh, does that machine, the, the line polisher we're talking about, totally eliminate any hand polishing, or do you still have to do some hand polishing? As far as the standard edges, it totally eliminated it for us. Well, wonderful. Bet you that saved a lot of labor. It sure did. A lot, yeah. labor, a lot of labor, a lot of time. Um, you know, to be able to take them off and just and just run with it. Now, you you know, the we talked. You know, I know that some of the questions that we were talking about about the labor. Um, right. As far as people go. Um, you know, people were worried about losing their jobs. They were worried mm -hmm. about, you know, not uh, uh, having to, um, you know, of course, we as owners want to cut down on payroll costs. And um, so what we did was we moved them to other areas or we trained them in other areas. Some of them went out to be installers. Some of them moved to just other parts of, uh, you know, of the area. So the inline polishers do not um do not polish sink cutouts, so they would move to a polishing position or something like that, or maybe to an installation position. But there's always somewhere that we were able to move them um, if they, you know, had a desire to move. And now I just thought of another question that I, I forgot to give you, and it's, it's it's an important question: is that back then, either prior to or or during that time, what were you guys doing for templating? What kind of templating were you doing? At that time, we had um, we were doing wood templates, wood and coreplast. We were just starting to think about going into digital templating, um, and the reason that reason for that was because we knew in the forefront was going to be some robotic technology that we had a desire to get into because we were starting to really um, do a lot more high-end work and the production was there and we knew the cost uh, with the robotics was going to save us on material yield consumables and that the savings was really going to be there for us if we moved into that field. But in order to be in that field, we really needed to go into some type of digital templating system. So, so right around 2015, 2016, we made that move into the digital templating era. And what type of digital templating are you using? We're doing. Uh, we use the LT55, and okay, we lasers. also have. Right. Yeah, and we also have a Proliner as well. Oh, okay, cool, cool. I know. And, and uh, did you did you buy the uh, other uh, automated equipment before the templating, or did you get into templating while you still had just a line polisher and a backsplash machine? We got into it beforehand. Um, uh -huh. You know, a lot of people a lot of people do it at the same time, or they do it af after. And I personally preferred to do it before to make sure that that was all in place prior to going into why make that change because it's already enough to uh, to make a big change going into the automation already is is a big step for a lot of people. So I wanted to get down the digital templating beforehand so it's not, you know, a, a lot of changes all at once. So when did you? What was your next piece? Um, excuse me. When was your? What was your next piece of automated equipment after those? Uh, those two pieces of equipment. So in 2016, we brought on the um, KUKA uh, Robo Sawjet uh, from Baca Systems. And explain a little bit about what that machine does for those of those that might not know. That machine is a saw and a water jet 
and it is an amazing piece of equipment. It's um, basically uh, you take your digital templates. Um, they are brought into the system. The picture is taken of the slab from the from the tables of the, and we have a dual table. You can buy a single table or a dual table. We have a dual table with the thought that when you're producing and you're cutting on one um, side of the robot, you can be unloading or loading on the other side so that you're always moving and the robot's always cutting. Um, so you take a picture, yeah, you take a picture of the slab. You um, Some people program in their CAD department ahead of time. Some people program at the robot. It all depends on your preference. And lay out the pieces on the actual slab and send the robot to cut. It makes all the straight cuts, comes back, makes all the radius cuts, cuts your sinks, cuts your faucets. Um, and in about anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, you've cut your slab with all your radiuses and faucet holes, and everything is ready to go on to the next step, whether it be a CNC or hand polish or an inline, whichever, which one, whatever one is more efficient. So I guess the old saw, the old bridge saw becomes an apron hanger? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because we, we thought for sure we had three bridge saws at one point, and we thought for sure we were going to get rid of all three of them. And we kept two of them and, and kept them for, I guess, you know, you you never know if the robot's going to go down. And right. thank God it very rarely goes down. But um, you also have it for if, you know, you would want to cut a backsplash here or there, or you want to cut a lamination strip, you can throw the piece up there and cut it real quick. So we do find that we use it once in a while for for quick, you know, rips and stuff like that. But um, we, I, I argue with the guys in the shop every once in a while to, you know, <laughs> let's get rid of one of them so we only have one, but they want to hold on to them. <laughs> Yeah, can't can't you can't fix the old ways sometimes, and uh, no. you know quite honestly, you know quite honestly sometimes those things do break down. It's nice to have that backup. That doesn't doesn't yeah. hold you up. And uh, thank God so that I'm robot's just, pretty durable. <laughs> yes, that, that's great. That I mean that that's actually great news, and that's going to bring me to another question here in a minute. But so I'm assuming your next piece of equipment then was the CNC. Yes, and uh, we okay, did and that in 2018. That, and that we and um, do most. Go ahead. I was going to say, what do you use that for? You were going to answer it. <laughs> yeah, we use that for uh, most of our profiling um, when we do our edge profiling. Um, we rarely cut our sinks out of it because our robot's much faster to do that. Uh, but most of our, our edge profiling is done on that. And then we do have another account where we do a lot of milling out of thicker material down to thinner material for weight preferences for things like RVs or coaches. And so we mill out that material from the inside, bringing it down to from like a 3CM down to like a half inch thickness. Um, so, you know, uh, there's some mitering it does. It does pretty much anything you want it to do. Um, so, but the majority of the time it's done for uh, edge profiling. Great. So now with all this automated equipment, and I'm sure, you know, some of the fabricators that are still doing it the old way uh, are going to ask, you know, mm -hmm. let's say an average size kitchen. Uh, from start to finish, once a template comes in, uh, what are you looking at turnaround time? Um, well, it happened the other day. We actually were trying to push a job out, and it was about a 55-square-foot kitchen. The slab didn't come in until about 2.30 in the afternoon, and it came off the CNC about 5.30, 5.45, ready to go. Oh, so wow. it's pretty darn quick. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, so when you're, you know, if you're a fab, what you were, a fabricator looking to yeah. move into this automation equipment, you know, what what type of, and, and you don't have to get specific numbers, but what type of things are you looking at as far as can I afford this? Should I lease it? Should I purchase it? If I buy mm-hmm. this piece of equipment, is it going to pay? Is, am I going to, you know, did you do a payback analysis? Kind of walk me through that that exercise, if you yeah. will. Well, you definitely want to make sure you have the volume and the the business to support it. And and like we talked about in the beginning, you know, really look at the type of business that you're doing. What kind of work are you doing? Are you doing a lot of straight work or are you doing a lot of of work that would support a CNC? Um, What type of business do you have? And that will determine what type of automation that you want to go with if you want to go with an automation. Um, I highly suggest that no matter what business you do, um, that you do get into digital templating just for the, the the time that it takes to do a template compared to a wood template, a digital template to a wood template alone is much faster, is going to save you mm-hmm. much more time, get you a lot more templates done in a day uh, per template crew. So, I mean, I wouldn't wait to do that. I would definitely get into digital templating no matter what. Um, but I, I, as far as automation in the shop, I, I, the first thing I look at is your business. You know, what kind of work are you doing? Um, I waited to get into CNCs. I know there, I have a lot of colleagues and very good friends that all they use are CNCs. They just they swear by them, and that's all they use is CNCs, and that's just their personal preference. But I, I tend right. to, you know, look at just I, I just look at the overall business and. You know, I went with the inline polishers. That was my personal preference. I just feel like that's, you know, cost-wise, you're not going to spend as much money on an inline polisher as as you would on a on a you know fully really nice CNC um, as you would an inline polisher. That's going to just do your straight standard edges, um, especially if your business is um, just production. So that's critical. You want to make sure that you're going to save yourself money in the long run by having the the business to be able to support the automation. Then you want to look now at your staff. Right. You know, you want to look at um, you, your staff and, you know, they need to be able to understand how to use the machine. The manufacturers are very good at training um, and, and you don't want to be in a situation where you don't have the people to run the machine or they have you hostage and, you know, you need to be able to run that machine yourself. You need to know how to run that machine. Um, it's well, not real difficult. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, you know, the, the average, you know, stone fabricator out there, let's say he doesn't have, uh, uh, how do I say this and be nice about it, uh, good math skills or, or you right. know, is it an easy transition or do you have to look for someone just a little bit, uh, has a little bit more techie uh, education yeah. to them at all? We have We have one person on staff that, it wasn't until a few years ago that he got rid of his flip phone. What does that tell you? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and he runs the inline polisher just fine. Um, he hasn't gotten to the CNC yet. Um, he knows a little bit about the robot, but, you know, they, they learn in baby steps. Um, we have some people that are not full-blown, you know, can't, would never be able to be a computer programmer or no CAD, but picks up really well on the robot. So I think that it's, 
you know, I firmly believe in cross-training everybody in your company. I think that everybody needs to know how to do everybody's job, but I think they learn on different levels. So um, is it, it's the same thing every single day that they're doing um, different profiles, but it's the same concept and same steps through every process. So once they learn it, they will know how to do it, and it's just a matter of the proper training. So um, I don't think it's something that's impossible for them to learn. They just have to want to learn it and um, and get the proper training to learn it. And I'll also add to that, you know, back in the day when, you know, my shop had a CNC machine, you had to basically have a, a degree in engineering in order to operate them. And today it's so much easier uh, to operate. I've, I've seen all of them at the shows, and I'm like, wow, that's not what we had to do. I mean, you literally right. had to program it each and every time. And now it's so anybody thinking about as a, you know, oh, I don't know if I can get into that. I don't have those skills. uh most of the manufacturers will train you and uh which is which is great. Yeah. So did you end up did you, didn't, you end up leasing? Go ahead, sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. I was going to say did you end up leasing them or purchasing them outright or you know how, how what would your advice be there? Um I definitely look at the rates. I'd go, you know, go to your your finance companies. There's a lot of finance companies out there that are that are leasing equipment. Um, I'd look at both ways and get get the best deal. I think for one of them, I got an awesome rate through my bank, and we did a, a equipment loan. The other one, I did a lease on. Um, but you know, the equipment loan that I got was just an incredible rate, and I just it's I couldn't say no to it. And then the lease was just a, an amazing rate as well. So I'd look at both. I'd see where where rates are, and um, I'd I'd look at all options if it were my my opinion. Yep, I agree with that. Now, what about the future for your company? Where do you see yourself going? We're staying where you're at, getting bigger, retiring. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we get bigger. <laughs> hopefully, um, you know, I'd love to see where we've moved our business three times since we've opened. Um, and every place that we've grown, we've doubled in size. And it's just when I think that we are in a place where we're going to be able to stay for a little while because we're we have enough place to grow, we run out of place, run out of room. So we are, we've been in this location that we're at now for about four years and we are outgrown our place again. <laughs> um, well, that's good. So, yeah. So I, I would really, you know, I really like with the location that we're at. Um, I'd like to see us grow a little bit more. Of course, you know, ultimately everybody has a, a dream of retiring and selling at one point or another, but um you know, I love what I do. I have a passion for what I do. And um, as long as we continue to make customers happy and do what we do and do it best, then, you know, I'm I'm here for the long haul. Great. Well, before we get into the next question, let me give the phone number out there in case we have anybody listening live um, that may want to ask you a question. Uh, the call-in number here, folks, is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Um, so anyway, so let's say I'm a I'm a I'm a fabricator. I basically have, you know, a basic bridge saw. I may have a, a, a small router and everything else. I I primarily do by hand. What would your What would your I mean, we've probably gone over some of this already, but just kind of kind of sum it up. What would your advice be to someone? Well, look, I I think I'm growing, I'm getting more and more business. What 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 would your advice be to them? Um, I would say. I would say, you know, where where are you financially? Um, 
where where do you want to go? What are your what are your goals? Um, set your goals, and um, where do you want to be? You know, where do you want to be in a couple years? And where do you where do you need to go? Where do you need to be to get there? Where do you need to go to get there? And um, you know, do you want to be an automated shop? Do you want to? What kind of business do you want to get into? Um, I know there's a lot of people who. I uh, love the old school way of doing things just by hand and and they don't want they're afraid of technology. They don't want right. to get into they don't want to get into the automation field and that's fine. You know, there's a there's I think there's enough business out there for everybody to do that. Um but, you know, they it's really a personal preference. If they don't want to grow and they don't want it they want to stay small, you know, more power to them. Uh, that's that's fine. There's plenty of business for them as well. Uh, it's a personal preference on where they want to grow and and how they want to grow, or if they want to stay that size and continue to do what they want to do right right where they are at. Good advice. Now there was one other piece of equipment I saw while I was there, and I want you to talk a little bit about, and that is in your showroom. Uh, yeah. You have that. I can't remember what you called it, but you know what I'm talking about that big screen thing that when a customer comes <laughs> in, you can actually show them the cabinets and the color of the stone, and everything. So talk a little bit about what that is. Sure. Sure. We have a kiosk in our showroom. It's called Quote Countertops. It is a program that we use. Um, it is. It's a really a software program that uh, we also have it on our website. Um, and it is called Quote Countertops. And it, what it does is it allows a customer to log in basically to our website and design their kitchen or their bath and select specific stones, specific uh, cabinets, appliances, whatever they want, and quote an actual countertop right there in, in, on the screen in front of them. Um, and it's really cool because they can actually visualize. It's called the visualizer. They can actually see it right on their own screen, and they can change the colors, and they can change the colors of the cabinets and the appliances to different manufacturers um, and cabinet colors, cabinet styles, so they really get a, a full visual effect of what their countertops are going to look like on any kind of cabinet and any kind of appliance that they may have in their kitchen. Which brings me to an, another question and uh, a resistance I get all the time from, from especially old school fabricators, that's what we'll call them, old school fabricators, <laughs> uh, is that, okay, I have a slab, and let's say I have a material, you know, like a Juperana or something that's very, very busy and very wavy. How, how do I know when I lay that countertop out that the customer's going to be satisfied with the way it lays out? You have a piece of equipment there that does that for them. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure, that's a great question, and, and this is a, a handy-dandy tool that we absolutely love, and I think a lot of fabricators have it. If they don't, they should have it. Um, we have a, It's a green screen in our room outside, and it's a piece of software called SlabSmith that we photo our slabs, and then um, the customer is able to see and design their kitchen. Uh, they can either make an appointment with our um, designers here, and with their digital template, they can take their templates and lay them on their actual slabs and see where their seam locations are going to be. And they can actually vein, we can actually vein match with it so that if we have slabs that have a lot of movement, uh, with the material, then we can vein match the slabs so that they can actually see where those, uh, you know, the veins are going to be put together and how they're going to lay out in their kitchen. So they pretty much get to see what their kitchen's going to look like before it's actually installed. 
which is which can a save real a lot of headaches. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I the day, especially boy, with that, that was a, yes. <laughs> a big headache. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And especially with customers that have a lot of movement in uh let's say a granite they have a lot of movement in it and maybe they want a particular spot or particular piece of movement in their countertop they can you know we can try and get the that particular area in their slab which is nice for the fabricator because how many times have we heard well i don't understand why you need more material now they can see and visually see why we need more material um, and they can see that it's not all going to fit on one slab and why it's not going to fit on one slab when they have the actual templates sitting right there on the slab. Visually, they can see it themselves, and they can kind of understand why we do what we do and why we have to put a seam where we have to put a seam. So it helps it helps the overall process and sets that expectation for the customer a lot easier, which is half the battle in our business as it is. Great. Now, I just actually got an e uh, an email with a question, uh, which I guess is kind of on this topic, and that is, they want to know if you have a separate installation and templating team, and uh, how do how do you work that with your business? Sure, that's a great question. Um, we do have a separate template team and a separate installation team. Um, sometimes it ends up that our templater we have two different we have two different uh, templating crews, um, but with sometimes it ends up that that template crew is is the install crew because one of them does install and template. But most of the time, our templater is different than our installer. So you can imagine that. Um, it's very important that we have excellent communication skills between our templater and our installers and, and our yep. entire staff. So one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is the amount of times that a job touches the hand of a person throughout the entire process of our um, of our installation so or our project. So a job in our company touches the hands of a uh, person 12 different times before it actually goes to an install. And some wow. some people may think, wow, that's a lot of time. How, how long does it take for you to get a job installed? Because that's right. a lot of time. <laughs> but right. if you think about it um, from the start to the finish, it is a lot of times, but it's also a lot of double checks to make sure that there are no errors in your job. And we actually have some of the fastest turnaround time in the industry. We're we're installing anywhere from five to seven days after template. So wow. it, the process goes pretty quickly, but it does get checked at least 12 times before it goes through the entire project. So that's a great question, though. Very good question. And I think that's I think that's smart move as well. You avoid all those mistakes, which. You know, I always say in our business, you know, you, we haven't invented the stone stretcher yet. So uh, that's true. <laughs> don't Gosh, if we do, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll invent one. I don't know. Um, how, let, let's switch a little bit and talk a little. And you don't have to give any secrets out here, but uh, maybe give some advice to the fab fabricators out there, regardless of, of shop size. But uh, what about marketing? What do you guys do for marketing? We have the best marketing team out there. Um, he is, uh, his name is Lorenzo Marchetti. He's with the Marquette Group. Um, he's got an awesome team behind him, and he's out of Houston, Texas. Um, he he's amazing. Um, he has a background in the industry, and uh, we brought them on two years ago, I think. 
and he has turned our business around amazingly. Um, wow. They, yeah, they're they're incredible. So if you go to my website, you'll see some of the amazing work that they do. Um, but they have they basically handle all of my social media, all of my website, any of my um, my print content, any anything that I do, anything, anytime you see a story written about me, anytime, uh, any of my, anything marketing, they, they handle for me. And, um, they're, they're an amazing group and they handle a lot of my, um, uh, social media stuff, uh, my speaking engagements, um, whenever I'm asked to speak certain things, I just let them know about it. They're there covering it. Um, they're also getting these speaking speaking engagements at certain times, um, which I do a lot of throughout the world. So it's 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 a great partnership and they're just a great team. They're they're on the spot. They're a wonderful team. Great, that's wonderful. Why don't you give out we've talked about your website, why don't we give that address out? <laughs> My website is N S Motif and like Nancy, S like Sam, M like Mary, O T like Tom, I F like Frank dot com. NSMotif.com. Great. Well, Karen, uh, I thank you for your time. Do you have anything else to add? Um, no, I just, I, you know, I want to do, but I do put a plug in for your program there, Fred. It's one of the best out oh, thank there. You. I thank you for everything that you do. Uh, yeah, I took his class, and he's just an amazing instructor. And uh, thank you for your time and, and, you know, having your class here uh, this last week was amazing. I always learn from you every time I see you, and uh, thank you for having me. I right, will thank you, Karen, and uh, we'll do it again next year when I have another class over there. So thanks Sounds for great. your time, and uh, we'll get to see you soon, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, Fred. Thank you. All righty. Take care. Okay, folks, there you have it. I, I hope if you're, you know, you're looking to, to move up in your fabrication business that you take Karen's advice, some really great, great advice. Uh, also, she did mention my class, which I have another one coming up. This time it's going to be the usual place, which is uh, Las Vegas, which uh, we have a lot of failures out there, so it's a great place. I do it the same time that the Stone Show is out there. So, again, if anyone's interested in that, uh, make sure to send me an email at fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com or call me directly on my cell which is 321-514-6845 also uh, I did start a video blog uh, the address is kind of long, so if you want to take a look at some of my YouTube video blogs, uh, just go ahead and send me an email to that email address, and I'll send you the link. And I'm up to, like, I think 14 so far, and there's some interesting blogs in there as well. And, of course, this radio show. I think I'm up to number, like, 52 or 53 shows so far. So uh, I try to do it every Wednesday, unless I'm on the road doing some training or doing some inspections. But uh, also, if anyone wants to be interviewed, you have something interesting to share with the stone and tile industry, uh, feel free to uh, give me a holler, send me an email, or give me a direct call, and we'll get you set up for, for an interview. I always love when I get to interview others that are in the business. I'm only one person, and there's a lot of people out there with a lot of uh, different different experiences. So until we see everybody next week, everyone have a great one, and stay tuned for next week's show.